Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. Should we start worrying about China again? Its central bank this week fixed the currency at its lowest level in five years. What's caused it to do that? And does this weakness bear similarities to the devaluation of the renminbi in August and the currency's fall in January? I'm Roger Blitz and a warm welcome to Hard Currency, the FT's weekly podcast on the FX market. In the studio with me is Paul McNamara, the EM Investment Director at GAM. Paul, welcome. We were all fearful about China at the start of the year. Subject's gone off the boil a bit. Is it coming back on the boil? I think it's coming back on a bit. I think the big development last year was that the Chinese burnt their fingers quite badly, first with intervention in the equity market, and then with two quite spectacular devaluations in August and December in the course of the year. So I think it's interesting that this time we're seeing the one weak against a strong dollar, because what they're targeting is the trade-weighted index. It's not against the dollar itself. And I think they've had a look at their tactics and they've decided, well, when the dollar is strong, you know, when everything is moving down against the dollar, is the time to let the renminbi move a little bit weaker and to let it drift, you know, that that provides their window of opportunity rather than doing these, you know, these 1%, 2% days. I mean, the trade way, you're talking about the basket that they announced in December that they wanted us all to have more attention towards. Yeah. I mean, we haven't actually really, have we, in terms of... The, well, I think, we, I think we should have, because, I mean, what you have to remember is that China trades an awful lot more with emerging markets than the US does. And when the dollar is strong, the other majors are weak, but EM is even weaker. So pegging to a strong dollar really does hurt China a lot and more than it hurts the US. So dollar strength is going to be the time when the Chinese feel that they have an issue that needs to be addressed. And I think we're going to see the renminbi weak when the dollar is strong. Now, we've had a lot about, you know, remember all that discussion, we talked about SDR and the IMF basket and China trying to get into there and China's going to have a flexible policy. I mean, frankly, it hasn't, but that's no great shock, is it? I think it shouldn't be. What the Chinese seem to be most conscious of, and it's not just in FX policy, but it's in every policy, is stability. They don't want to create shocks. They don't want to create anything which might have political implications. You know, and if you look at currency policy through that lens, I think it makes a lot more sense. You know, don't expect these big moves. Just expect kind of marginal moves in a scenario where it's going to create a lot less fuss. You're really saying there, don't look at the renminbi so much. We were looking at it religiously, you know, back in August and January. But you're effectively saying it's the wrong index or the wrong measurement to look, look at. Look at the dollar. Yes, definitely. Well, look at the dollar against... The that, DXY, you know, the Fed's trade weight. So worry less about what the PBOC does regarding the renminbi and the trading band. Yes, uh, regard what the PBOC does as likely just a function of whatever happens to the US dollar. And so what China data do you think we should be focused on? I think everything in China, you kind of begin and end with the financial sector data, the credit data, because, you know, growth is going to slow as long as credit growth slows. Again, stability, so the Chinese don't want to see that numbers crashing. But if we see it picking up again, then I think it becomes more clear that the situation in China is unsustainable. 
And honestly, I think if you've got a good handle on the credit data, you're likely to have a pretty good handle on what's happening with the real economy because there is a very strong relationship. You mentioned strong dollar. How strong do you think it's now entering? How much is the Federal Reserve aware, do you think, about the implications globally of a strong dollar? Well, I mean, if you look back a year, you know, we were getting FOMC meetings where the Fed would say that it was very aware of what was happening in the dollar, that this is a way in which this can be a tightening of US policy if the dollar gets too strong. You know, and it's not just the Chinese who are most concerned about stability. You know, it's what central bankers always say is that they're less concerned with the level as with the speed of movement, you know, because fast moves can be self-sustaining either because of what's happening in the options market or these various other feedback mechanisms that exist in the market. So I think the watchword, you know, not just for the PBOC, but for the Fed, for the ECB, for everybody else, is to see the US dollar moderately stronger as long as the US growth numbers are a little bit better than they are in the other majors. And the Fed, you know, because the Fed is still looking for its next move at least to be a hike, whereas I think the ECB is still looking around in its box of tricks to find another way of loosening. And the market's getting a little bit ahead of itself, therefore, on the dollar, is it? As far as the Fed's concerned. There's there's various ways of looking at the dollar. I mean, what people tend to do is look at the gap between the two-year in the US and the two-year in Europe, or the real two-year in the US, the real two-year in Europe. And depending on the timeline you look at, maybe the dollar's getting a little bit ahead of itself, but it doesn't really stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, we, we could definitely see a stronger dollar. We'd have precedent for seeing a stronger dollar with the relatives the way they are now. At the same time as the stronger dollar, we're now seeing oil coming back to $50. It's always been this figure that has a certain psychological impact to it. I mean, it doesn't really, does it? It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, we tend to be very sceptical of this psychologically important levels. I don't think that makes a huge deal. I mean, it's an irresistible force meets an immovable object that either the dollar will be strong or oil will be weaker. As with all commodities, you know, they tend to move in the opposite direction to the dollar. I would say the risk is on oil is probably to the downside. But you have to be very, very careful here because, you know, I'm an EM guy talking about oil. There's people who spend an awful lot more time and an awful lot more money looking at the oil market than me. I mean, you shouldn't be asking <laughs> you shouldn't be asking me if you want a valuable view. Well, what I will ask you is about EM. A year that's so far given us a route, a rally, another route. Are we going to see this kind of on-off scenario play out for the rest of the year. When's it going to switch? Well, I think the big moment for EM is going to come actually not that far away, probably around the turn of the year, because we saw a huge adjustment in EM. We've seen imports come crashing down. We've seen the trade. We've got the the net trade balance across non-China EM back in surplus. We've seen credit growth come down from levels where credit to GDP ratio is rising quite rapidly to levels where in most of the markets that ratio is going to come come down quite fast. You know, we've seen current accounts come back into line. So we've seen a big EM adjustment. You know, as we come to the end of the credit cycle, I think we should start to see slightly better growth numbers out of EM. And traditionally, when EM growth is strong, that's when you want to own EM assets and EM currencies. In the interim, I think we're just at the market mercy of the dollar. If the dollar is strong, traditionally, EM underperforms you know, even the majors in a strong dollar environment. So I shouldn't really be writing about a route if EM falls as a result of the strong dollar. I should start to be writing about the pickup again. Well, I, I, and, and perhaps be selective about that. I think yeah, in the medium term, or you know, sort of certainly by the end of the year, the fundamentals are going to move in EM's favour, regardless of what the dollar is doing. In the interim, it is a, it is a dollar story. I mean, EM is in a better position. We shouldn't see the sort of yeah. you know dismal moves we, we we've seen in the last couple of years. But we're not there yet in terms of the growth story. Selecting a couple of those uh, EM stories, 
Turkey's lira was a lot stronger to get this week on the back of some strong political developments there. Yeah, I mean, the thing about that worries investors politically about Turkey is sort of the steady extension of the president's powers. You know, you see, you hear words like dictatorship being bandied around, maybe a little bit casually, but it's not much of a democracy. The key thing we've seen, though, is that the economic appointments in Turkey have been pretty mainstream, have not, you know, have been designed not to frighten the horses. You know, the new governor of the central bank, that was a huge concern for the markets. You know, they're very comfortable to have an internal uh, central bank candidate appointed there. We got the new cabinet last week, in particular, Mr. Shimshek, who's quite well known, obviously, having worked in the London markets for a very long time. So while President Erdogan has been talking for a long time in a very unorthodox way about how high interest rates cause inflation, when push came to shove, you know, he's left the old policy-making framework in place so Turkey can continue to run a fairly stable policy, which it very much needs to, because on most metrics, Turkey is the most vulnerable of the larger emerging markets. Another one is Brazil, which is perhaps further behind on a political level. But you think, presumably, that things aren't, I mean, provided the politics don't, that's a hard thing to, to have as a big if, but you can see a situation where Brazil calms down a bit. You can. I mean, you don't need an awful lot of calm with bonds yielding 13% or right. so for that to really affect the market. I think the market got very excited about the removal of President Dilma temporarily, yes. as it may turn out. You know, and that clearly the new team brought in by acting President Temer is a very market positive one. But as ever, it's not just what's happening, it's what's in the price that matters. And so, you know, we seem to have had a classic, you know, sort of buy the rumour, sell the fact kind of come through in Brazil. I mean, Brazil still has very formidable problems, a budget deficit of 10% of GDP. I think things are moving in the right direction, but it's very volatile. I mean, it's a country that remains on a knife edge. But you can see the rail staying broadly where it is. I think so. I mean, if things keep moving positively, then I think that creates capital inflows. On the other hand, the central bank are clearly eager around this 350, 360 level to acquire some dollars to reduce their forward book. But yeah, I think stability from here. Two more questions. We had this Russian bond saga this week which is a reflection of the embargo problem they've been trying to get around. It doesn't really have a ruble impact, but it does say something about Russia trying to normalise issues. I mean, I think the Russians want to signal that they have access to foreign markets, whether or not they do. I mean, I personally don't think they do. You know, that this bond is not settleable in Euroclear in the normal way, or even in the slightly abnormal way they had planned. They claim most of the money, most of it's been taken up by foreigners, it seems unlikely that, that foreigners, you know, this extensively are able to settle Russian debt locally. It seems much more likely this is right. This has been Russian money held offshore that's been piling in here. I mean, Russia, the ruble really is all about the oil price. I mean, day to day, you just draw a chart of the oil price, a chart against the ruble. It tells you pretty much all you need to know. And finally, Paul, slightly broader than EM, but June, we have the big Brexit referendum. We have a big Fed meeting coming up. Is this a time to invest or a time to just watch and wait? I think Brexit is the big uncertainty. I mean, we saw last year in the UK general election, you know, how wrong bookmakers, how wrong polling polls can be. You know, you had seven to one against a Conservative majority ahead of that vote. So I think the confidence that's being reflected in survey is maybe a little bit misplaced. I mean, the Fed generally does not surprise. If the Fed is going to hike we will know about it before they do. The, you know, the, of all the central banks in the world, there are very few which are as careful not to surprise as the Fed is. 
and a Fed meeting before the Brexit vote leans towards the idea that they won't go with June. It's very hard to point to anything in the US economy which needs an urgent hike. Right, Okay. Paul McNamara from GAM was our guest this week. Thank you very much to Paul. Do join us again next week for Hard Currency. Until then, do follow all the FX news and analysis on ft.com forward slash markets in the course of a week that brings us an OPEC meeting, an ECB gathering and those monthly payrolls data. From Hard Currency, it's goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our World Weekly podcast, which is presented by me, Gideon Rachman, the FT's chief foreign policy commentator. Each week I discuss one of the main political stories of the week with the FT's overseas correspondents and experts, and you can find our latest show at ft.com slash podcasts from Wednesdays. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.